0: For all my followers, it's been a couple weeks since I posted a podcast and I just wanted to give a a quick life update. Uh, My wife and I started our traveling journey in our RV back on the 10th of June. And it's been pretty hectic ever since. Hectic in a good way, right? That We've lived more intentionally. We've gotten to connect back with nature, with each other. I, want to, I am going to be making a more conscious effort to getting the podcast out on a weekly basis. So I thank you for those that have bared with me on that. And this episode of A Man's Journey, we dive deep into Dylan Bain's story. Dylan Bain is a man that I met at the Uncivilized Initiation. And that is where he talked about his, his story about eight years ago. While as a teacher, he was faced with decision, a decision that went against everything he believed in. What he didn't know was that the decision that he had made from that would propel him to living the life that he envisioned for him and his family. In this episode, we talk about dependency and how we can eliminate dependencies in our life and become more independent, self-sustainable. And then we also talk about when life gives you lemons, instead of squeezing them, you freeze them. I'm excited to get this podcast out in the universe as it is a message that is deep about connection, about intentionality, and about a vision from a man that knew what he wanted all along. Hey, good morning. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing well. Alex. How about yourself? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. I just got done with a 10-mile bike ride with the kids, a little bit of clarity, and I'm excited to jump on with you. Uh, for my uh, viewers that are listening today, I have Dylan Bain uh, here. I met Dylan at the Uncivilized Initiation in Austin, Texas, and that is where I realized that his story was very intriguing. But there's, there's so much that we can talk about. Uh, it could be like we were just talking about um, – your origin story, we were talking about sustainability. I want to take it back, Dylan, to where it all started. Tell me about eight years ago, you, you mentioned that you had a principal that wanted you to commit fraud. Tell me about that story.
1: Yeah, so at the time, um, you know, we had ended up in in a small mountain town in Arizona, uh, and I was teaching, my wife was going to school full time. Um, and that was kind of our deal. We had been living overseas and working overseas. And we came back to the U.S. so she could go get her master's degree. And, you know, that was my promise to her was I was going to support her through this. So I'm I'm teaching at this this local high school. I'm, you know, I'm completely like involved with the school. So I'm, you know, I've been there for four years. You know, I am the I founded a wrestling program, so I'm the wrestling coach. I'm teaching an extra class. I started an engineering program for them that was dual enrollment, um, you know, just, you know, taught summer school, ACT, S C T prep. Um, but the reality for me was with all that, I couldn't put my kids on my health insurance. So I had a, a small child at the time. And my take-home pay was so low that I qualified for food stamps. And so I was working two extra jobs on top of that. I was doing taxes, uh, which we'll come up in this story here in a little bit. Um, and then I was, you know, bouncing at the local music venue. I was driving trucks when I could, anything I could do for a dollar, because every month we're going a little further into debt. And I, I was in my, you know, one of my last years of teaching and I, I came back from a wrestling tournament and the principal asked me, he like, Hey, can we chat? And, and when she asked, can you chat? Like you always knew <laughs> this was a bad conversation. Right. And so we, we go to her office and I'm sitting there thinking, man, am I going to be late for my third job? Because I, I had a shift that night at the local music venue. And like everybody in the principal's office, I'm, I'm like, I'm spacing out. And then the words that like shocked me back to the reality were, and that's why I need you to change these grades. In the state of Arizona, legally only teachers can assign grades. And she had logged into my grade book, she should not have had on her laptop. And had it turned around, and she's like, okay, I need you to change these three grades. And I was like, no, I'm not going to change these grades. That's unethical. To get a C in my class is stupidly easy. Like, literally, all you had to do was put your name on everything and turn something in, even if it was a blank sheet of paper. That was it. Uh, And these students had well and truly earned these Fs. And I said, no. And she said, well, but our graduation rate has to stay up. And if we don't graduate, then we're going to dip below this threshold. And I don't want to do that. And I I just could not fathom doing this. And she looks at me and she says, Dylan, why don't you go home? Spend the night to play with your daughter and think about what the right thing to do here is because contracts for next year haven't come out yet. Wow. And I'm, I'm like shell-shocked that she's threatening my job. And on my way home, I, I was just thinking of like, what am, what's going to happen like i i barely like i'm i'm with everything i'm doing i'm still on welfare i still don't i don't have any savings i'm going further into debt every month and it was a turning point for me because i realized that because i didn't have the financial shit squared i don't know if i can swear on this podcast or not no you can I'll uh, go, okay, good cause I use fuck like a comma. And I was thinking like to myself, I've got nothing. She's got me by the balls. And i I come home in the meth house, two doors down for me is going. It smells like burnt plastic. I go in I spend, I spend my da- you know, time with my daughter. I put her to bed. I called in sick to that other shift. And I made myself this uh, a drink, a cocktail. and I'm looking out. In my back window to this dirt patch that's our small backyard backs up to a a fucking drainage ditch with a guy who's puking his brains out back there and I just thought to myself like like this this can't be all there is for me like this just can't be like I've got like I just I and it was just this moment where I was like oh what would I want instead I want a house with a yard And I want to listen to my kids play in that yard and laugh. And I want to have a grill and grill steaks for my kids and make a meal for them. And have my wife just look to me and go, I love what we built. And like, like I'm choking up because it was, it was like this, it was so clear that I could have this thing, but not at my current life. Like that was the thing everything if I could keep doing what I was doing I could go and change these grades no one would know and 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 just keep moving and like sleepwalking through life working three jobs staying on the welfare but that wasn't going to get me a house with a yard with laughing kids with the grill and steaks and my wife saying I love what we built and you know like what like any young man I called my mom. <laughs> I was like, mom, <laughs> I don't know what to do. And she said, she said, Dylan, you've never been good at, at making lemonade when life gives you lemons. So like, you know, look at your job. It's really steady. It's good for your kids. Just make lemonade this one time, Dylan, just make lemonade. And it was too late. Like something had shifted inside of me. Cause I was like, no, no, I'm not making lemonade. Fuck lemonade. I'm going to freeze the lemons build a lemon cannon and return fire because if I bombard life hard enough, it'll stop giving me ammo. And that was the moment like where everything shifted for me because I wanted a house with a yard, with the stakes, with the, the compliment, like that, that became the singular focus for me. And I didn't care what I had to do to get it. So when I went back the next day, the principal had the laptop logged into my gradebook book again. And she went, all right, let's do the right thing. And I closed the laptop lid and I looked her right in the eye and I, I told her to shove the suggestion up her ass. (laughs) And in those words, (laughs) and like, to me, like, like I think back at now and even at the time it was like watching a a video. Like I was so beyond where I had grown to be. I I had shifted into this new place where I was so shocked at me saying that. And she did this this thing with her teeth where she like tissed at me and said, your daughter's gonna be so disappointed in you. And then I invited her to fuck herself and walked out of the room. (laughs) Because I I had decided that like, it didn't matter. I was gonna be the man my daughter needed me to be. I was gonna be mad of integrity. I was gonna have that fucking house. I was gonna make that money. And I was gonna apologize to no one about it. And so anyone who said, you know, no, you can't do like an, and, and after that, like the, they got around because the first thing my principal did was go and complain to her, her sycophantic friends who then told everyone in the school what had happened. Um, and people came up to me and were like, you're crazy. Like you can still fix this. Go and apologize to her, you know, tell her you were drinking this day. like, yeah, I came into the high school in the morning drunk and I yelled at my principal. So like, that's where it all started for me, Alex. Um, and I tell that story now and there's people like their eyes bug out of their head and they're like, why would you do that? And I just say, because I love myself.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy because in society, and I, I say this, I'm reading a book, G.S. Youngblood, uh, the masculine relationship. And I relate so much to that. And what you said, and it just validates a belief for me, right? Is we as men, or just people in general, but more focused on men, we are driven by external validation a lot of times. So mm-hmm. we we more just kind of go with the flow. We don't really assert ourselves if, when we're in that um, unconscious state, right? And you just talked about the situation where it made you flip that switch to consciousness. when When you made that choice and you said the said what you said, how did you feel, and what came following all of that? How did your life shift? Because the story just doesn't end there.
1: Oh, yeah. No, no, you don't. You don't tell your boss to go fuck themselves. The story stops. Um, it's not like she came back to me. Like this is, of course, this is the immature fantasy we all have. Like I'm gonna say that she's gonna suddenly have the self reflection in her office where, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have pushed him that hard. That shit never happens. Um, so how did I feel? Honestly, I felt better than I had in a long time. And, and it's, it's one of these things like you, you mentioned GS young blood, his male embodiment practice. I wouldn't have had turnt words for this at the time, but like, I knew what I had done was true. Right. Because I could feel it in my bones, my heart saying the savage inside of myself, um, was just like, yeah, <laughs> let's do it. And, quite frankly, there was a, there, you know, I, it was, again, something I wasn't conscious of at the time, but looking back on it, you know, I founded this wrestling program and, you know, I had fostered and mentored a lot of young men, which is a story in and of itself, but that was derided in the school. Like I I had a lot of people in the arts department would tell me that, like, I'm a raising thugs and I'm like, yeah. And we're having conversations about consent. Right. And we're having conversations about trauma and we're ha- like, like I'm doing this great thing. And so on some levels, it was very much of the like, you know, being beaten down and standing back up and being like, no, I'm not dealing with you anymore. I know you don't like me as a man. I get that because, you know, you know they had talks about all these toxic young men was very prevalent in the school and I always stood up for him, but never the way I needed to. And this was like me standing up for myself. Um, so where does the story go from there? Um, as fate would have it, they gave me a contract for the following year. Uh, because it turns out finding mat- qualified math teachers in, in rural towns is really hard. Um, I'm,
0: gu- I'm guessing you were the teacher of the year.
1: <laughs> well, you know, so funny story. Like I, I like I don't come with dimmer switches. And so I'm either all in or I'm all out. And I was all in on helping improve things. So like that year, that that year that that happened, um, I had 100% pass rate in the standardized test. That includes my kids in extreme poverty, my kids with disabilities, everyone, all of them. <laughs> and that was never acknowledged, um, in that. So like, like, yeah, I, I was doing teacher of the year shit. And, uh, you know, that last year she made sure my life was hell, took all my classes from me, but what it did is it bought me enough space to go, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to put in place so that I don't crash and burn trying to make this step? And what I decided to do is, as I went to the guy, I was working in the tax practice and said, Hey, how much money do you make? Like, I literally walked in and was just like, morning, Ben, how much money do you bring home out of this thing? <laughs> and he told me, he goes, he told me, and then he goes, why? And I said, well, cause I, 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 I need out of teaching. And he's like, Oh, I've been waiting for you to ask. He's <laughs> like, you should go get your CPA. I'll sell you the practice. Like, it'll be wonderful. And I realized two things. Uh, number one, I didn't want to buy this guy's practice. And number two, that was my path. So I, I put my, I started taking the baseline courses. I started negotiating with the university. I put together a two-year program so that I could do the equivalent of an undergraduate degree in accounting in 18 months. So three semesters. And then I was going to go through their accelerated MBA program. And that would give me enough credits to get my CPA. And, you know, I started out on that. I kind of checked out my last year of teaching. So I was focusing on myself. And, you know, when I quit, you know, then I I started in on that process. And I realized that I was a non-traditional student. So I was 33 at the time. Um, I started off by asking the professors in accounting, you know, what what's the most idealized path here for me to maximize my own earnings? And they all told me, you have to get to the big four, which are the four largest global accounting firms in the world. And I was also told, uh, you're too old. Don't try and waste your time. And, you know, Like, like, just enjoy the time and take what you can get. Like you're, you're, you're really old in terms of of doing this accounting thing. And you remember that lemon cannon, you know, freeze, load, fire, right? Like, no, fuck that. I'm going to get a job at the big four. And I, I realized that to do that, I had to be the best student in this entire place. I had to be so good. They wouldn't ignore me. And during that time, I had a cancer scare. My wife was eight months pregnant with my youngest daughter. Gotten a head-on car crash, uh, so we lost a car, <laughs> and and she was okay. The daughter was okay, but then we had the medical bills and the the lawsuit to deal with. Uh, the university came back and told me, no, we were actually yes, we approved this program, but we're going to rescind that because why the hell not? Um, I had a gout flare in both feet because of the stress, where I could barely walk, and I was in crutches the whole time. And a year after that. Not, I had met with the president of the university and gotten her to sign off on my, on my, my program. I had gotten my gout cleared up and it was the guy at the theater I used to bounce for who paid for it because it was a whole insurance thing. But my, you know, because I had made this, this connection in the tribe, he stepped up because he's like, man, I love what you're doing. I love what you did for my sons in the wrestling program. Let me help you. Um, I had found a car to buy for $500. <laughs> <laughs> to get me back on the road, and, and I think that the coup de grace was not only had I earned every scholarship for my MBA so that they were going to pay me go to school, not only was I top of my class in every single class despite everything that was going on, but I had applied to nine jobs, so I could apply for the job, defer it for a year, and go into my MBA with the job. Of those, I, I applied to nine I got nine. Oh, wow. I got nine. And I was so happy because of those nine, three of them were from the from three out of the big four, you know, the job they told me I couldn't get. And oh, yes. and I I went I went right up to the professor with the three offer letters and went, put that in your pipe and smoke it. And he looked at me and went, you're the best student I've ever had. And like, literally this guy with no emotions gets up, gives me this big hug and was like, I'm so proud of you. Like he's crying in his office. Like it, it was great. The point being though, is that like, there was literally nothing in my life other than this focus. Like, yes, I had my kids and yes, I had my wife, but it was this thing of like, they deserve the house with the yard and the stakes and the laughter. And I was not, I was still living in that shitty apartment two doors down from a meth house. And every day I went home and was like, fuck this yeah every day i went home is like i have got to study because me studying and getting this a is going to get us out of here and and like you know you you talk about like people would come to me after i got those offers and were like how did you do it dylan well i show up here at 6 a.m every morning and i leave at 11 o'clock every night You know, and, and I go to every mock interview. I go to every mixer and like, Alex, here's the thing is that I had to get known. And I had to make sure that when I walked into an interview, I was perfect. And so like, that meant I needed time on target. So I was like applying for jobs as like nursing assistants. I was going to like the medical college. I was going to their job fair and like talking to people just so that I had enough times to fail and fall on my face so that I could get the experience. And, and what was a, a funny byproduct of that was when I graduated from my MBA, I got six job offers. I actually have the letters. And when I'm feeling bad about myself, I pull them out from companies that knew me, but I didn't apply for. These were people that I had done mock interviews with so many times that they knew me so well and had seen me hustling that they came in and said, Hi, we really want you for our firm. So we put together this offer for you.
0: And that's, that's what I, I think sometimes people lose sight of is like, it's about the relationships you build mm-hmm. and the connections you make.
1: Well, hundred percent. And like I knew the person down at the career development office, because I was there literally every day. She got in at eight. Guess who was standing at the door waiting for me? And I would ask her, hey, is there something I can help you with? Hey, can you look at my resume? Hey, is there a job interview coming? So it got to the point where, Alex, I had a suit in my car. It was like an emergency suit. That if she would call me, she would text me and be like, hey, somebody canceled on this thing for Vanguard Financial. Hey, somebody canceled on this thing for Goldman Sachs. Hey, somebody canceled like, and I would run to my car, grab my suit, throw it on, and then show up in a full suit and and do a mock interview or do a, go to a mixer or go go to whatever. I mean, did I was I doing anything quote unquote fun during that time? No. <laughs> Why? Because I wanted a house with a yard and steaks on the grill with laughing kids. And I was going to fire my lemon cannon until the barrel glowed red
0: and lit my way. I love that analogy so much too. You know, like I really love that analogy about, about the lemons because, you know, you had sent that to me on Instagram a few weeks ago. And it, I've, been, I've been fucking like chewing on that. I'm like, man, I really want to know how he's changed his life with lemons because that's what you sent me. you like, I changed my life with lemons, right? Um, I want to I wanna focus in on something because I, my next question was going to be, what were your challenges? But fuck, that's a lot. That was a lot. And uh, I Those just to- Those are the say- highlights, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess I want to give you a little bit of a harder question. Yeah. Through all of that, all even the challenges that you encountered what was the biggest or hardest internal or external challenge that you encountered that just resonates with you that that is a really hard question because there's there's so many um
1: i mean the, the i i i stumbled bass backwards into the idea that i needed to love myself to be able to do any of this I needed to have these senses of, of it, it's worthy. But I'll, I'll tell you that the biggest piece of th- the biggest shift that was the hardest that there were days we had these like unisex bathrooms on all the floors in the business college. And there were days you go in there and lock the door. And there were days I go and lock the door and sit on the floor and cry. Um, because I mean, when I say 6am to 11pm every day, I fucking mean that. And I mean that six days a week. Um, and it, it was hard to get to a place where I just didn't give a fuck what other people thought that like, there was this entire domesticated path through college where like you come, Oh, C's get degrees. Yes. C's get degrees, but not jobs. Right? Like, Oh, like you don't have to be so serious. This is my fucking life. This is (laughs) like, those are different. You're like, like, Oh, it's, it's college. Like just lighten up. I'm not going to lighten up. What the hell's wrong with you? Right? Like it's that shift to be able to say like, we're not the same. Like you're here on vacation. I'm, I'm fighting for my life here because my daughters deserve that yard. So like, There were a lot of people who were like, well, you know, there's people like, and and by the time I finished my MBA, there were people who said like, there are people who take this shit seriously. And then there's Dylan. Like, like, I didn't tell anybody that I was here fighting for my life. But everybody knew. And, and that meant there was a social penalty because my efforts showed their lackadaisical bullshit. And I had to be okay with that. And that's hard. Because once you start, once you get off the domesticated path, once you decide that you're like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. Like, what happened when I told my principal, to go fuck herself? I had people coming up to me going, Dylan, Dylan, it's okay. You can get back in the pen before the farmer gets back with the ax. Just go be nice and domesticated. And having to look at these people that I thought were my friends, and at the time they were, but, but, but I had changed and they had not, and saying, we're not the same. And thank you for being in my life at this point but you can't like, you can't kill with me, right? And I'm not staying with you. And that feeling of like, oh my God, I'm abandoning these people. Oh my God, I want them to like me. I had to get to a place where I didn't care if they liked me or not. I had to get to a place where it was okay for them to hate me. And in fact, I had to get to a place, and this was probably the hardest. I had to get to a place where it was okay, where, where the people who hated me the most showed me I was on the right path. And you'd be able to look at that and be like, that person hates me. And that person's a pile of shit. Therefore, I'm good. Thank you for hating me. Thank you for loving, uh, loving me enough to hate me. <laughs> and like, it's not a no fucks given attitude, because I described this to other people and they were like, Oh, yeah, the no fucks given like that. You either get these internet edge lords in real life who are like, "Yeah, don't care." The lions don't care what the sheep are, and I'm like, "You live in your mom's basement." Um, or you get people who are like, "Who are you're know, like, like, yeah, that's right. Uh, you're better than they." It's it's not a judgment call. It's a tuning fork type of thing. It's not about no fucks given. I intensely care what people think about me. It's about which ones are my people going in the same direction I am. And, and that, to be able to just write off half of my
0: class. <laughs> yeah. No, I, and, and I think a lot of people don't understand when you go through that growth and when you when you make that decision to choose yourself, you have to evaluate what serves you and what doesn't. And that includes the people and the relationships that are in your life too. And I I've noticed that for myself, as I've become more conscious and, and more intentional. I'm like, how does that relationship serve me? And there's resistance, right? Because you want, there's, there's initial resistance because you want to please people, but then you look internally and you're like, well, how does that align with me? It it doesn't. So it's time to, to stand up for what I need to do. And, yeah, uh, and that, that speaks so much with me.
1: Well, and I, I didn't know this at the time. I actually learned this at the time, you know, much, many years afterwards. Um, but like, there's a there's a predictable process when you start changing. The people in your life will go through three steps. They're going to tell you, they're first, they're going to resist you. Then they're going to demand you change back. Then they're going to demand you change back or else. Right? And if I look at that time, I fought with my wife constantly. Because I blew up, like... You know, her familiar hell was better than the strange heaven I was trying to create. And she fought me tooth and nail on it every step of the way. You know, my mother, Dylan, like, like, it's not too late. Maybe you can go get another teaching job someplace else. Like, everybody and their brothers tried to talk me out of it. And then it got to a point where they started telling me, like, you need to stop this. You're killing yourself. Like, it's this fake, like, concern for me. Of like, you're killing yourself, you're not sleeping, you're not taking care of yourself, you're not working out. Like, these people didn't care about that when I was working three jobs. You know, so what are they actually trying to fight for? They're fighting for their homeostasis. They're fighting for the domesticated path. They're fighting to, because if I'm successful, I show them it's possible and they have to confront the reality that it's a choice for them to stay in their shithole. And then they, they start going like, you've changed. I can't hang out with you anymore. You've changed. And it's like, aren't we supposed to? <laughs> and, and so like, it's, it's hard. That, that thing was so hard for me. And I cried a lot about it. Locked myself in the bathroom and just gave myself 10 minutes to just ugly cry.
0: And I, and I, and I y- yeah. And, and I think that that's a, a an outlet that needs to be publicized more um in the sense of like it's okay to cry men it's okay to cry it's okay to get it out I was talking with my sons this morning uh as I was on the bike ride and they'd asked me they were like dad why do we why do we work out why do people work out and I said well I mean there's various benefits to working out but like one thing that I want to bring focus to and you mentioned homeostasis and this is what triggered that is like we want to we want to stress our body so we can get out of our uh, of homeostasis, and I'm a believer that once you stress your body and you get out of homeostasis, then we start to be able to handle and deal with the stress that comes with that. And I said, that's, that's just with working out. Now, let's take that in, in our everyday life. And, and when we got a home, homeostasis, we've already seen what it, it looks like to be stressed, to be in a mindset where like there's anxiety that kicks in or things of that nature being able to handle it and breathe through it and connect with the body, understand what's going on. And looking up in the sky and looking at the trees and looking around and saying, I'm okay. And it's, you mentioned the, the crying in the bathroom. And I just, it, it resonates because I, I've talked to many people uh, lately and and you know, Dylan, you know, I've I've cried a lot lately. And mm-hmm. th- th- not to get into the topic, but like crying is okay. And when I when I tell like my father or other old school man or you know that Marlboros man, they're like, hey, crying's not okay. So I guess where I'm going with this, with that display of emotion, the, the 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 intimate time with yourself and getting to understand where you wanted to be. Like you always knew where you wanted to go, but like filling your body where did that drive you to
1: um so let me say this about crying is that everything's okay nothing's okay if that makes sense i it was for me to cry was not a display of emotion i was not sitting there in the nba lab crying because what happens when men cry people either get terrified because men men are are we are for for better or for worse our greatest service to society is for disposable um, you know you and i are fathers if if i can absorb the bullets so my daughters can live on evolutionarily i'm successful right that that's something every young man has to grow up with and deal with whether we're conscious of that or not it doesn't change the reality so when men cry people get scared because of for that reason and secondly, then everyone's going to come over and try to fucking fix a problem to get me to stop crying because it's scary to them. And I fucking don't need that. So I'm locked away while I'm doing this. But here's the thing that I, I, I will say most about crying for men is that crying is not an end in and of itself. There's a lot of people who will tell you that if men could just cry, the world would be better. And I disagree. Crying helps me move the energy to get through this thing, to then go take action to solve why I was crying in the first place. Like imagine if I didn't cry and then that emotion built up inside of my body, I dysregulated and then I could no longer be the top student I needed to be. Remember, I'm trying, I'm shooting for the most elite accounting firms. I have to be the most elite student in this place. I have to be so good they can annoy, I do not have the time to get a C, which means I have to make time to get the emotions out through my body, which means I need that 15 minutes to cry it's crying with a purpose. Having men cry and then not solving the problem makes them frustrated. And frustration leads to lots of bad things. Just go look at the news. So like, I'll say that too, but you brought up working out, it's the same thing with the bar with the barbell. Why do men suddenly do a lot of thought process while they're out running an ultra, doing squats or whatever? Because it forces the mind and the body to have to connect to each other because otherwise you're gonna hurt yourself. <laughs> and then once your mind and your body get connected they're like hey here's this other shit for us to work on um and you know a lot of meditation i've done while running my ass through the mountains right i can't do that anymore because you know obviously my size prevents that at this point but you know that's that's how that works um you know second of your question where where did it drive me to is you know in that space it drove me to excellence what it didn't drive me to was understanding and again because I was just I was on a, a journey I wasn't there yet was to understanding um why other people cried right and why my wife cried why my kids cried like it didn't it didn't drive me there it it cleared the path for me to continue to be excellent and in, in changing my life um but it didn't connect me so deeply that I was able to actually connect with other people you know, and, and that that was one of the things that that was very poignant about this whole process was that, you know, when the smoke clears, you know, two years after after the inciting incident, two and a half years after the inciting incident, um, you know, I have a job at the big four. I have a job at one of, the, one of the most elite accounting firms in the world. I started becoming one of the best accountants they had because I just took the same mentality and rolled it right into this other place. Um, but my relationship with my wife really deteriorated. You know, like that's that was part of this process, too, was, you know, familiar hells are preferable to strange heavens. And I bulldozed the living fuck out of our lives. And, and to the point, I mean, this is a this is a kind of a sidebar, like like to tell you just how driven I was. My wife really wanted to work at a power utility and because she she works with energy systems and the electrical grid. And they were having an accounting mixer down at the local power utility. Um, and I drove down there, had gout in my feet. And I literally had a wooden dowel I put between my teeth to get the shoe on. So I wasn't going to walk in there without shoes on. And I walked in there and I, I basically walked up to everybody who would listen to me and went, hi, I'm already spoken for. I'm going to go to the big four. But my wife really likes you. Here's her resume. So I'm at this accounting thing, pitching my wife, the engineer's resume. And she got a job from it. Wow. They called her. So by the time that I finished my MBA, she had already been working a year at the place she wanted, the job she wanted, and she didn't even apply. I went and found it, and then they called her, you know, and looking back at that, that really fucked with her life. Um, I thought like, hey, we're all going to be happy, but I was not leading my wife. I was not connected into her. I was so focused on just do, 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 do. I wasn't a human being during that time. I was a human doing that was a force of nature and forces of nature don't understand what they destroy in their path. Is that the, where you, you thought that question was going no, go? <laughs> no,
0: you, you actually took it where I wanted it to go. One thing that stood out to me when you were at the initiation was just your passion for your daughters and, and how great of a father you were. Right. And so you hit it, you hit it right on the head. My next question is how has this journey impacted you as a father. And you talked about the husband aspect. But I I guess where I'm my second question on that would be, how has it been able to help you reconnect with your wife? So question one, how has it impacted you as a father? Question two, how have you been able to reconnect as a husband?
1: Uh, I'm going to come in at this is from a little bit of left handed place. Okay. And that is to say, I'm going to start in a different place and just bear with me while we get to where you want to be i i this whole thing started because i didn't have money like money's not the root of all evil money are portions of your time and if you have extra money what you've done is you've purchased your future that's what you've done you've purchased margins during this whole process and i i take i take education extraordinarily seriously i kept my kids and part of the reason i I started working really hard uh, when my wife was in graduate school, we had subsidized childcare. Um, and we sent our girls to Montessori's, because it really teaches them independence to be their own people. And that's what we wanted for a girl. So we we had modified her house, I'd spent a lot of time building stuff, because I couldn't afford it uh, to make it into that environment. And during this whole process, like our number, my, my number one thing was, okay, how do I pay for school? And then after I got got them into the schools they needed to go to, then I would figure out the rest of it. So when my wife took that utility job, we literally moved her into a part of of the city where she was close to the school the girls were going to go to. So we found the school first, then we decided to live there. Right. Um you know in this in this journey, you know, part of it was, you know, the yard and the girls and and wanting them to have laughter because until we moved here to, to where, are, you know, where we live now in Denver, I mean, in 10 years, we had 13 addresses, you know, we moved my daughter from one school to another school, to another school um, trying to chase that dollar. And, and it really was just, I want like, part of it was I really wanted to give them the opportunities that they deserve. I wanted them to have healthcare. I wanted them to not have to have a stressed out father wondering how the fuck is he going to pay his bills? I wanted them to have a backyard to play in. I wanted them to have a garden to tend. I wanted them to be free of that worry so that they could flourish as individuals. And you know, by the time I finished this process and, you know, it extended into public accounting. You know, I I raised my hand and said, I'm gonna be, you know, they were just doing data analytics for the first time. I did the very first data analytics audit for Ernst and Young. It's where I went to go to work. Um, I was one of their top performers, right? So what had happened is I had locked myself into this battle mode and thought that that would hit, you know, because I'm making more money and I wasn't there yet, I needed to 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 keep on that path. But because my relationship with my wife deteriorated, you know, and because, you know, I, I really just thought everybody was going to come along with me, I realized that I wasn't showing up for my my daughters and you know when we we got them to the school that they're in now my oldest daughter just said said oh well i don't want to make friends and i said why don't you want to make friends honey and she said well because we're just going to move in here. and and then i'm going to lose more friends and i've lost so many friends and that that really really hit me hard which is what motivated me to buy the house um yeah that was part of the vision and dream but like I wasn't where I thought I was, I wanted to be to buy the house. Right. turns out I timed the market perfectly, but you know, so we bought that house and, and, and my vision came true, but I bought the house because I wanted to have a proof positive. No, honey, we own this place. No, honey, this is our stability. And, you know, to buy the house and to tell her we are going to be here for 20 years, right. We're not, we're done moving unless, and, you know, outside of some something catastrophic, we're going to stay here. We're going to settle here. You're going to graduate from the school you're in now. And then I realized that's not enough either. Because what I was doing was I, I had fallen into a trap that I think so many men fall into is that if I just provide enough, then they'll love me. If I just make enough money, then they'll love me. If my net worth is just high enough, then they'll love me. And My daughters didn't give a flying fuck about any of that. They just wanted stability and time. That's it. They just wanted their papa back. They just wanted somebody who wasn't working 100 hours a week. They just wanted somebody who would do a puzzle with them. They just wanted somebody who was going to paint with them. And those are precious moments that... I passed up on working 100-hour weeks, all the books I didn't read to them, all the places I I didn't take them, all the days in the park I didn't do, those are moments that I'm never getting back, and I paid them to get to where I'm at now, and I have a hard time telling you it's not worth it, because the thing that I have now is I have the money to create margins to actually work on becoming the emotional person they need. Now, you mentioned the initiation. Those things ain't cheap. I mean, you know that, but I have the money to do it now. For me to be able to say yes to yes, I'm going to go do this thing because, you know, the initiation is promising to at least expose me to something I've never seen before in a world I've never seen. If I was still teaching, if I had done the quote unquote right thing, I couldn't have afforded it. Not in money, not in time. And so. You know, when I when I first went to the very first initiation back in well, a year ago now at this point, you know, I went with the idea of I am I've gotten very good at providing. I can make money like a motherfucker. Um, there's nothing I can't bulldoze my way through. I am I'm an expert at this lemon cannon. Like some people are experts at swords, some people are experts at archery. I'm experts at blowing shit up with the lemon cannon. And I still can't hug my kids with the lemon cannon. And so I realized that I had secured my, if you're looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the bottom two needs, physical, uh, physical needs and security. I had become a master. But that next third tier to be in relationships required a completely different skill set that I had no practice in. So when I showed up at that initiation, looking at it and saying, yes, I I need to learn everything that these people are teaching me because I, it scares the fuck out of me. I have no idea what's going on here. And my kids need this from me. My daughters deserve this in their lives. They deserve a father who can hold them when they cry. And stereotypically, I looked at it and went, "Okay, there's this guy. His name is Dewey. He's teaching me about softness. He's teaching me about oh, making energetic openings, things that I consider woo-woo. But he's clearly doing something right. So I'm going to learn from him, but I'm going to do it my way. So I'm going to learn how to be soft and how to be kind and how to be energetic, energetic like a goddamn Viking. I'm going to do that shit at twelve, and that is what I've done for the last year." <laughs> And, so and you know what? It, it worked.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is, that all resonates so much with me because that was the same way with me with the military, right? I, I was so focused on providing and getting caught up in like being the best throughout that organization that I didn't have true connection either with my wife or my kids. And so I guess th- this leads me to with that information, with, with what you had said, how has that driven your path now? So I, I didn't ask you time frame of when this happened, but how has that driven your path now and your intentionality with your family? Yeah, so kind of
1: going back to the origin story, a big part of what hit there was this idea that like, I'm dependent on this job, and because I'm in debt, because I have this dependency, this job can dictate to me what I'm going to do. And essentially, they got me by the balls. And getting and because of that, I don't have I don't have sovereignty over my time. I don't have the sovereignty over where I live. If I needed to move, I couldn't fucking do it. Um, and and because I'm trapped, my kids are trapped too. You know they're going. You're know, going back to the school example. They're going to the school. They love it. I can see them thriving as individuals. And if for some reason the government cut the the subsidy for childcare for graduate students, I'm fucked because there's no way I can backfill. I can't even backfill it now, right? And so as we're working forward in this, you start. I started to start seeing dependencies in a lot of different places. You know, money dependencies. Okay, I want to, you know, I want to make sure i am never put in a position where my boss can tell me, I need you to, to do something unethical or your job. Okay, so I built an emergency fund. Over the last five years, I've built an emergency fund. I've got a year's worth of cash on hand. So if somebody tells me to do something unethical, I will invite them to fight, to go up their ass till they find their molars. Because I, it, it, I already purchased a year of my life. I don't need this job to survive for a year. And in a year, I'll figure it out. Trust me you know, so, so that's granted me freedom. I have sovereignty, I have confidence, I can I can act for myself, right? Putting money away for retirement, buying the house, these things, every one of these things has freed me. If I buy a house, I'm free from the landlord, still dependent on government taxes. But I'm already, I'm, I'm like, the, 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 the joke here, though, is that if I'm, if I'm renting, I'm dependent on the landlord and the government taxes, because the landlord has to pay taxes. So I can trade two dependencies for one dependency and then my sovereignty has increased. And so as we've gone along in this, it's looking at it and going, where else am I dependent in my life? And it, let's be very clear here. You're never gonna be 100% sovereign. The 100% sovereign man does not exist. It's a question of choosing your dependencies. Like you have to choose who and what you're going to be dependent on. And some some of you don't have choices, right? Like there is no wild spaces where you can be free of government. That place doesn't exist anymore, right? So you're going to have to choose where you live and how that interacts with you. You're going to have to choose what environments you're going to be dependent on. You have to choose what people are in your life um, because there's going to be an interplay that, that goes here. But I wanted to start making the best choices that increase sovereignty and creates healthy interdependence, not unhealthy codependence. And to so start to realize that like, oh, here's one place that I'm dependent that I didn't want to fucking face. I'm dependent on my wife being happy to make me feel regulated, right? So I have forced her into a position where I am sycophantically dependent on her emotional states such that she can't have a bad day because then I'm going to have a bad day. That's not healthy, right? Right. It's not good for my daughters. Oh, I need my daughters to be happy and laughing and be okay. Otherwise, otherwise I can't be okay because then I'm a bad dad. So I'm relying on a 10-year-old to emotionally regulate me. Like that's a terrible plan. You know, and so it's as we've looked at this, it's like, okay, well, how can I how can I break that cycle of codependency? How can I break that nice guy tendencies? How can I emotionally regulate such that I can be a lighthouse rather than a tugboat? Right. To use that metaphor too. Uh, being a lighthouse, just shining an example versus tugboat, trying to push everybody and getting smashed against the rocks. That process, like that's where it started. But once I've conquered each, each thing, the, the realization for me is that I have to go to the next one and then the next one. And this is a lifelong journey because that's going to change depending on blood pressure, medication, depending on food, food systems. Okay. So now let's talk about food. Cause I think this is where you wanted to go in the first place. Food systems an industrialized food chain creates a great deal of dependency. It also creates a great deal of obesity. It also to create, you know, convenience kills, man, like, like, it's the food isn't even that great. It's terrible for you. It's half poison. And then it's convenient, which means that this huge intensely human activity has been, you know, which is eating and breaking bread, sharing, you know, indicating to ourselves, our little monkey brains that we're going to survive another year, day has been put into a fucking lean cuisine and in the microwave. So let me just paint a picture of what's better instead. You make a garden. And what is that garden going to do for you? Well, I get to spend time with my daughters planting seeds and growing and cultivating life. Those are memories that they're going to love. Well, maybe they'll hate them, but in either case, I'm making memories. At least I'm present. And then they, I get to indulge in them, their experience of teaching them responsibility of, t- of caring and tending to these things and understanding that if you overwater them, they'll die. Too much attention to somebody will die. Too much focus on a relationship will kill it. <laughs> the metaphor goes, goes pretty far down here. Now we're growing these plants. Now we're transplanting these plants. Now they're, every day they're looking in there and every day they're, t- they're, they're checking these things. They start doing them independently. And then you end up with 50 tomato plants in five-gallon buckets in your backyard. And you they, every day they're out there looking and going, Oh, there's a papa, there's flowers, oh papa, there's this, papa, there's that. And then, you know, we we harvest that and we bring that in and we 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 make sauce, we make pasta sauce, and we can it, we make salsa, and we can it. My my oldest daughter who loves making jalapeno popper is like you know, we made the popper, you know, we made, we grew the jalapenos and we went and got milk and we made the, the cheese that goes in the poppers and I, we get the bacon off the pig I shot and we make the poppers and suddenly we're having this meal that is a culmination of hundreds of hours to bring it to the table in which everything on that table, we grew ourselves. And people will say, God, that sounds inconvenient. And I think, how much time did I get with my kids? Like, good food takes time. Good relationships take time. You know, it's it's the the adage of like like that's all quality time. And my daughters tell everybody who will listen about their tomato plants. They tell everyone who will listen about the stuff. And so I'm killing several birds with one stone. I'm breaking my, food, my 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 food dependence on the industrialized food chain. I'm increasing my sovereignty. Inflation can go fuck off with itself because I'm growing my own shit, right? <clears throat> I'm getting quality time with my daughters. I'm teaching them to be in connection with the earth. I'm giving them something to be proud of that they did before they even hit double digits in age. How did I lose in that transaction, Alex? Oh, it took you a lot of time. It just means I, let, I watched less Netflix. So I'll repeat my question. How the hell did I lose?
0: And that's that's why I wanted to go to this direction, right? Because I think that society, I think people need to listen to that. Because one thing that I, I always say when people say money doesn't buy happiness, I'm like, whoa, 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 take a step back for a second. Money, in my opinion, money buys happiness because it allows you the opportunity and time for things that bring happiness to you, right? So, like you mentioned the initiation the other day, or uh, or not the other day, today. Uh, you mentioned the initiation on how much it costs. Well, that gave me joy. That made me make this connection with you, right? With the food. I love the garden. I That's one thing that I told you right before we jumped on. Like, hey, let's talk about this because it is so important on the underlyings of why you did it. The connection, the time, right? And then you, and, and, and the lessons that you can teach your children, which is our job as men is to train, to educate, to lead, um, and drive the curiosity of our children, give them the prompts. We're not, we don't want to condition them, but give them the prompts. And so like gardening, like you said, it eliminates dependency, builds connection. And it, it, you just, that fired me up right there. That like, and if you're, if anybody's listening and that resonates with you, I encourage you to jump on a call with Dylan or, or even DM him, or however, however you want to get in contact with them just on that topic there. Like I encourage people to start gardening. Hashtag let's start gardening.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, so I, I do financial coaching. Okay. And one of the things I you, know, whenever I have to, to work with somebody on a budget, okay, this will connect. So just again, come with me here on this journey. Food is a huge thing in a budget. It's a variable thing. And you have, you know, I always tell people you have to separate out on your budget food. This is shit I buy in a grocery store, prepare for myself, and dine out, where I have, I pay somebody else to prepare food for me. Okay. And dine out is always more expensive. Right. So when I, if I'm paying attention to it, I don't have to pay as close of attention as I used to, but I was able to feed my family very well at $2 per person per meal, Right. And, and most of the time I was, I was below that. Um, and, and we ate well, we ate very, very well. It's not, it's not just all oatmeal and and rice and beans. I'm talking like with steak and shit. So when I get young men who come in and I'll tell, I'll, I'll start telling them like, you got to learn to cook. I don't want to cook. I was like, okay, look, let me appeal to your, your balls to here for a second. Imagine for a moment that you, you're a young lady and you're given two options, right? You got a guy, you kind of like him, you feel okay with him. And he offers to take you out, so you go. You you have to doll yourself up. You go to the restaurant. He sits there, he puts on the be- his best show possible for you. Somebody else is bringing food. He bullshits. It's all conversation. He feels okay. He asks you at the end of the night, "Hey, you want to come home with me? How you feeling?" Right? Don't answer the question. Just how you feeling? Now let me pay a different scenario. He says, "You know what? I would like to be able to make you a meal." So you come to you come over to his place because you're feeling comfortable. We're assuming that there's there's some safety here already. You come over to his place, you walk in, and you get a chance to see how he lives. You can see if it's clean, it's well-decorated, it's curated. The whole house smells inviting, beautiful food. He's standing there at the, at the kitchen going, oh, I was just finishing up the sauce. We're about ready to, to to eat. So now he's got good time management skills. He can create something. He put time and energy and effort into it. He makes you this amazing meal in which he has great conversations and then he says, "Hey, I'd I'd really like to have sex with you, because that was what you asked. We wanted you to come home, right? It's the same question. Now, how are you feeling? I mean, like th- this is not this is not fucking rockets. Of course, we know which way this is going to go, right? We know which one's going to be the option. In fact, this was my first date with my wife. I cooked her a meal. Like food is fun- food is foundational, and good food takes time." So if you could show your time to be able to make something and cook something and be able to, to make it good, you're going to make a memory, no matter what it is. And for my kids and my girls, like, like my cooking skills, I, I lo- like they're, they're some of my most precious skills. Um, and I, I will tell you just a little, little hashtag on on Montessori. I gave my kids knives when they were two, <laughs> like razor sharp paring knives. And I showed them how to cut olives. With these razor sharp knives now for anyone who's listening a sharp knife is a safe knife a dull knife is a dangerous knife so if they cut themselves with a sharp knife it's going to be much better than if they cut themselves with a dull knife that's trauma and i'd have them cut olives and mushrooms for me so now i can you know my oldest daughter my oldest is 10 my youngest is seven i can say hey we're making pizza i need olives i need onions i need mushrooms i need this and my youngest will be like, okay. And she'll get out a knife and she'll get out a cutting board. And she just starts going. And my oldest will go, oh, we're making pizza. And she gets out the mixer and starts making dough. That's before I do anything, Alex. But the, stop and think about like what the time and energy went into this. Will my daughters ever forget making pizza with their father? Will my daughters ever not know how to cook and provide for themselves? You know, and they're not even double digits yet. I mean, my oldest turns 10 tomorrow. Right? So like, that's a serious question in my mind. It's like, where are you spending your time? What are you doing with it? How are you breaking? By breaking dependencies, you become more dependable. By breaking dependencies, by looking at where am I dependent and choosing which ones you're going to be dependent on, you're going to make better memories. You're going to be a better better husband. You're going to be a better father. You're going to be a better citizen. You're going to be a better community member. You're going to be a better brother. I don't give a shit what you are. How are you lost? by being better you know people will say money is the the root of all evil or the which is not the actual quote or they'll say well money doesn't buy you happiness man when i was poor i had 99 problems and money would have solved like 98 of them (laughs) right like 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 what a domesticated like all you, you know what i hear when people say that i just hear bleeding like they're domesticated sheep Oh, money! Money isn't everything. It won't buy me happiness. No, your boss should probably be paying you more instead of exploiting you. Yeah. You should walk in and ask for a raise. Well, money doesn't buy happiness. Okay, well then, why do you have so much of it? Like that's a the that's a savage mentality right there. What the fuck you pay me, right? Oh, that takes a lot of time. My time is worth it. I mean, last night I made I made, I made I've been cooking for my parents while I was here. Last night I made. I made these burgers. I made In and Out burgers essentially, and you know they're like, "Oh, that's a lot of time. Oh, that's a lot of cookie. Oh, that's a lot of chopping." And at the end of it, my mom and my dad were just like, "My God, this is the best thing I've ever had.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, it's worth it." And I got there by breaking dependencies.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a lot there. Um, and and if I miss something, I know I'll I'll follow back up with you on on this offline but like, I want to, I want to highlight real quick Montessori. Um, for those that don't know, I, my children, uh, have been, there's a, it's called unschooling, but when we put them in academy, it was a Montessori academy and it's child led learning with curriculum, right? That's what Montessori is unschooling because I mentioned it is child led learning without curriculum, but it's through experiences, right? So, um, I, I highlight that because and I'm and I'm following around is because in my belief, school is another institution that condition us to fit within the confines of a system, right? And I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not people can choose. For me, the Montessori route has built independency. And I think that it's important. That we circle back to the connection piece. We're conditioned by systems that don't want us to be independent, but independency and in my belief is where connection grows. And One,
1: go ahead. Well, I, I was just gonna agree with you. Like you're talking about the unschooling and the Montessori, like like they're they're non-traditional curriculums. Um, you know the the schools, as you said, are institutions, and the biggest problem with 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 schools is that because of irresponsible parents, we push, we we try to make schools all things to all people. And and I, I really truly believe in education, but I don't believe in the educational system.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and that's the good thing about monastery and, and unschooling is that everything is an educational moment. No, no matter what it what it is, and, I, and I, I'm a firm believer, there's this radical, there's some people that are radical in this of like, oh, you know, it's truly child led. But I do, I do believe in, in a form of structure. And I do believe in, in curiosity. And that's what one thing I don't feel like the educational system uh, generates is curiosity.
1: no. And and there's there, like, that's an entire another podcast to talk about the educational system and my experiences with it, but you're hundred percent right. It's, it's again, examining your dependencies and what they are school schools teach you to stand up, sit down, show up, show up on time and all this other stuff. And then punish you if you don't, um, they're, they're institutions that, that desperately need an update, but at the same time, parents don't want them updated because familiar hells are preferable to strange heavens.
0: Yeah. You know, I- I have a, I have a question. Uh, this is going to be my last question, and then we'll go into getting to know how you can be. Um, people can get in contact with you. If you could look back through all of this, what advice would you give yourself or someone that's in the same situation?
1: Yeah, that's so heavily dependent on what like time frame, because the person who walked out of his principal's office asking to be to get fraud, to do fraud, versus the person who walked in the next day were different people. Um, the biggest piece of advice, if I could go to the person ahead of time, would be don't take the second contract, right? You've already made your choice, just go all in. You know, figure it out and go all in, right? If I had to come up with a, you're like, this is kind of like, and these are questions that are always hard because it's a question of what what advice wish do I wish I would have given myself? I think the better question is what advice would I have listened to? Or what advice do I wish I had listened to? And so, like, I, 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 think, I think the best advice that I could give myself back then is you need to start understanding that life begins from the neck down that you're spending so much time in your head trying to figure out what the right thing to do is. You're not spending any time trying to figure out what the true thing is. And your head will never give you that answer. The heart is the exclusive ownership of truth. And so to, to, when you feel something is true in your bones, when you feel it in a deep embodied sense that something is true, just like, I mean, what I felt in that moment was maybe for the first time in my body, This is wrong. Forging these grades is wrong. Then go all in. Like, just go all in. You're going to pay a price, but it's the, but you, what you are is you're purchasing your soul
0: and it's worth it. That's powerful. And uh, everything that you put on the podcast today, I resonated so, so much with. And I just appreciate that. If this resonates with anybody, Dylan, please tell the listeners on how they can connect with you. Uh, you're a financial coach, you a men's coach. Uh, how, how can we get in contact with you?
1: Yeah, you can always find me on Instagram at, the, at reject domestication. Uh, that is my Instagram handle. I'm not not hard to find. Um, and if you wanted to to see my website, it's currently under construction. It's getting revamped. Um, for the men's coaching side of things it's fiscallysavage.com uh, you know and if anyone wants to reach out and start a conversation you can find me uh, on instagram re- at reject or you can give me an email at dylan at fiscallysavage.com
0: perfect once again dylan i, I truly appreciate your time today and the wisdom that you uh, imparted on everyone and uh, i definitely look forward to the next time
1: Alex, this has been a supreme pleasure.